This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Words of Integration Guidance by Lawrence Kushner. Some seem to be born with a nearly completed puzzle. And so it goes, souls going this way and that, trying to assemble the myriad of parts. But know this, no one has within themselves all the pieces of their puzzle. Like before the days when they used to seal jigsaw puzzles in cellophane, ensuring that all the pieces were there. Everyone carries with them at least one and probably many pieces to someone else's puzzles. Sometimes they know it, sometimes they don't. And when you present your piece, which is worthless to you, to another, whether you know it or not, whether they know it or not, you are a messenger for the Most High. A reading of scripture from Psalm 98 is rendered by Nan Merrill. Oh, sing to the beloved a new song, for love has done marvelous things. By the strength of your indwelling presence, we too are called to do great things. We are set free through love's forgiveness and truth. Yes, your steadfast love and faithfulness are an ever-present gift in our lives. All the ends of the earth have seen the glory of love's eternal flame. Make a joyful noise to the beloved, all the earth. Break forth into grateful song and sing praise. Yes, sing songs of praise, extolling love's way. Lift up your hearts with gratitude and joy. Let the voices of all people blend in harmony. In unison, let the people magnify the beloved. Let the sea laugh and all that fills it. The world and those who dwell in it. Let the waters clap their hands. Let the hills ring out with joy before the beloved who radiates love to all the earth. For love reigns over the world with truth and justice, bringing order and balance to all of creation. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ernest. He says I fell twice. It's a work in progress. Reading of scripture according to Acts 10, 44 to 48. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. So I want you to uh, imagine that a good friend of yours has just gotten a job as a server at a restaurant here downtown. And 
let's say, pops. And you and some friends are going to go support this friend on her first night working. And so you get some friends together, you show up at the restaurant, you kind of wait uh, and ask to be seated in her section. But of course, it's tulip time, so it's packed, it's busy, it's really busy at the restaurant. And when you finally get seated, you see that your friend is kind of frazzled. It's been really busy, she's messed up a couple of orders, brought things to the wrong table, and she is stressed out. When she finally gets to your table, how would you respond? That's a question. <laughs> what would you say? Or do? Be easy. Yeah. Or, yeah. You give encouragement. You say, don't worry about us. Or take care of your other tables first. Or we're just, we'll just order beverages. We'll just keep it really simple, right? You do whatever you could to make it easier on your friend. Right? Yes. And you'd still leave a big tip. Right. Especially, right? <laughs> well, now imagine the same scenario. You're, you're going out for hops with these group of friends, but your server is someone you've never met, somebody you don't know at all. And it's a similar situation. He or she is frazzled, running behind, gets one of your orders mixed up, kind of doesn't give you their full attention. How would you respond in that scenario? Same way. This is such an enlightened room. <laughs> For this to work, you can't say that. <laughs> okay, to be honest, I would be challenged by the situation. You would be challenged by the situation, right? Because you're going out for a nice night, you expect a certain level of service and, and to enjoy your evening. When that doesn't happen, if you're like, hey, what's going on here? You know, is this a real restaurant? Uh, I deserve a certain level of attention and service, and how did you switch my order up? Maybe you don't know that this is their first night, right? And so you might be tempted to get a little frustrated. You might mutter to your friends. You might leave a word with the manager, like, hey, we received some really poor service tonight. And let's be honest, you probably wouldn't leave your best tip, right? If we're honest. I think there are moments where maybe, like Gene, we're more enlightened and we'd, and we'd move into that sort of space of compassion, certainly. But I think all too often, when it's somebody we don't know, our instinct can be, hey, you know, why isn't this a little better? And the difference, I think, in these two ways that we react is that one person, your friend, is inside what you might call your moral circle. Your moral circle, that is, friends and family, maybe even good friends and family. And those are people that we naturally care about, we have a relationship with, we know them. We see them and we instantly sort of empathize and we want their best. But the other person, the stranger, is often outside of that moral circle. Somebody we don't know, we don't have a vested interest in how their day is going, uh, and so they're outside of that moral circle. Well, a noted ethicist notes that there's two steps in how we develop our moral psychology. And it starts when we're very young. When we're a newborn, we don't mind being handed off to a stranger, right? You're 
you're barely awake, you know, you're just like, here you go, here you go, hold the baby, and you don't really mind as much. But at a certain stage, children, infants, toddlers, develop what's called stranger anxiety. Stranger anxiety. You're handed off to someone you don't know, and you know that you don't know them. And that's, the, that's that initial step of developing between kin and family and non-kin and family. So the second step is that as a child, you learn to treat those you know and those who are close to you with kindness. And kindness and kin are, of course, etymologically related. And so we tend to be kind to our own kind. But those who we don't know, who are in effect strangers or outside of that moral circle, we tend to treat with suspicion, we hold at arm's length. To put it in another way, people inside our moral circle are an end in themselves, to use sort of philosophical language. They're an end in themselves, right? We care about that person. But someone on the outside of that circle is a means to an end. So in the server example, this person, they're just someone I want to bring me my food and my drink and kind of to get out of the way, right? Because I'm having time with my friends and my family. So they're a means to an end. But those inside the circle are an end in and of themselves. And this is all something that happens to each of us as human beings. In ancient times, the Hebrew people, like many ancient people, uh, saw themselves as special, as being uniquely the people of God. And of course, Scripture points to that as well. But it is worth noting that other ancient people groups also saw themselves in sort of a unique place uh, in the world uh, and in the eyes of the divine. Well, there was a name for everyone who wasn't an Israelite or a Jew. And that would be a goy or a goyim, plural. Or we might say Gentile, a Gentile. Gentiles were the out group, the non-kin, the strangers, the other. And they were seen, uh, among other things, as idolaters, as idolaters. Well, they don't worship our God, they don't worship the true God, and so they, they are idolaters, they worship other gods. And as such, they were seen as morally deficient, morally deficient, and social contact with them was seen as dangerous. And this is not an unusual move to people outside of our circle, is it? We can quickly think of times throughout history and still today or we think of someone else, some other people or people group as other, and we'll come up with things like morally deficient and might be dangerous to be around that person or those people. And in fact, uh, one uh, rabbi, Simeon ben Yohai, went so far as to say the best of Gentiles should be killed. That's an extreme example, of course, and I think this was under a, a time of uh, difficulty for the Jewish people uh, under the Roman Empire. But I think it reflects something underneath that was usually put much softer. But what we see in the Bible and throughout scriptures is a slow but steady process 
of expansion. Of expansion. An expanding view of who God is. An expanding view of who God loves. And of course, an expanding view of who we are invited and called to love and to be in community with. Now, Jesus' disciples were Jewish, and many of the earliest Jesus' followers were also Jewish. But of course, we know things at some point begin to change. And in Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision. Does anybody remember what this vision was about? The sheep of the unclean animals. Yes, a sheet is lowered from the skies, and it's filled with these unclean animals. And Peter is told, take and eat. And he says, whoa, I have never eaten anything unclean or anything that's not kosher. I've kept kosher my entire life. God, you told us some things are clean, some things are not clean. I've only eaten what is clean. Well, the voice again encourages them to eat, and it says, do not call unclean or profane anything that God has made clean or anything that God has made. In other words, if God made it, it is clean. Which is a huge expansion for Peter and those earliest followers of Jesus. If God has made it, it is clean. And Peter begins to realize this applies not just to these animals, but to people. To people. And so he says in verse 34 of our chapter, 10 verses before the text we read in Acts 10, he says, I now understand that God shows no partiality. I now understand that God shows no partiality. But that means he used to think that God did show partiality. And so this is an expansion for Peter. And Peter keeps going, and in verse 44, the beginning of our text, it says, While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard. And it says, The circumcised believers, i.e., by and large, the Jewish believers, were astounded that the Holy Spirit had been poured out, it says, even on the Gentiles. Even on the Gentiles, right? Catch that language. Even on the Gentiles. What, you mean God is welcoming even those people? You can hear echoes of that if we read between the lines. And I'm wondering who historically has the church struggled to include or welcome? Who might we have said, you mean even so-and-so? And I'm asking you. Muslims. Muslims, okay. Certainly have people of other faiths, absolutely. People of other races. People of other races. Gay. Gay. People who don't think like you do. People who don't think like you do, that's right. There's often a very narrow bandwidth of what we're allowed to think in the church. Trans. Trans, absolutely. Women. 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 Right? I mean, when I was growing up, women were a part of the church, but mostly they were there to help make the food and, you know, do things of that sort. But they weren't allowed to be in any position of leadership. 
They couldn't even vote in congregational meetings. They couldn't serve as elders or deacons, and certainly not as preachers. This is in my lifetime, in your lifetime, right? Not in the UCC. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I hear you. You don't have to tell me that twice. And so I was going to say that even there are churches still today, right, for whom that is true about women and certainly many of the other uh, groups that were mentioned. And so there's that struggle to expand the circle. And partly it's rooted in that natural human inclination to have a narrow circle of concern and to say these are the people that are okay. These are the people that are safe. These are the people that are chosen. But God and Scripture invites us to continually expand the circle. And then the question is, who for you might it be difficult to welcome? Who might it be difficult for you to invite, to include, to expand? Neo-Nazis. Neo-Nazis. All right. All right. Ultra-conservatives. Ultra-conservatives. Donald Trump. Okay. Okay. It might be somebody at work who just rubs you the wrong way and just always seems to have it out for you. Right? And they just get under your skin and you just, you kind of walk into the office or your workspace and you just can already feel your skin kind of doing a number and it's like, I got to spend a whole day with this guy or this gal. It might be the neighbor with the yard sign you don't agree with who, or who wears that red hat that says, make America great again. Is there space even for them? I think the gospel asks us to say yes. Absolutely. Now we often think of the gospel as the reconciliation of humanity with God. Right? That reconnection with ourselves and God. And certainly that is a huge piece of it. A huge part of it. But I think the gospel is also about reconciliation of humanity with humanity. Right? Of us with each other. In fact, Peter, or Paul, excuse me, says in Ephesians 2.14, For he, that is Jesus, is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one. What are the both groups he's talking about? Jews and Gentiles, right? Us and them. He says he has made both groups into one. He's broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. And he did that to create a new humanity out of the two. A new humanity where the circle expands and expands and expands even where we ourselves are not quite sure we're comfortable with it. And then Paul says in verse 19 of Ephesians 2, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also, listen to this, members of God's household. You are kin. You are family together in the kingdom of God. Or as my friend Tilden Edwards says, in the kingdom of God. We are all family together. And then he says this, and you are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. 
In other words, when you and I come together and cross what it is that divides us and see the love of Christ that expands to us all, that is the place where God lives. And I think that's where you and I want to be, even when it isn't comfortable. Amen. Namaste. to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org. Music